Hey, if you'll pull out your notes this morning from your worship guide, we're continuing our study in the book of Jonah. Uh, Bob, it's so good to see you this morning, my brother. We're grateful that you're here. God bless your heart. And uh, Bill, good to see you sitting back in the back row. I'm so glad you were able to be here also. But we've been looking in the, in the life of Jonah for the last several weeks, and we're using it as a springboard to talk about our life mission. If you remember this, I've shared with you multiple times that God has a life mission for each and every one of us. You weren't simply put on this earth to make a bunch of money and retire and die. While you're here, God has a purpose for your life. If you are still here, God isn't finished with you yet. I said that a few weeks ago, and I received several emails. Well, what does he want me to do? He wants you to stop complaining, stop whining, stop being Jonah, and uh, he'll show you his plan. And uh, only you and only I can fulfill the life mission that God's given us. And it's possible that you can live and die and never fulfill that mission. But if that happens, you have missed the entire purpose of your life, of your, the reason of you being here. And some people will live decades before they discover that life point and that mission. And what we've been talking about is extremely important. And we've been looking at the manifestation of it in our lives as we've looked at the life of Jonah. A little book right in the middle of the Old Testament, only four chapters as we've gone through it, and Jonah does almost everything wrong. Do you know anyone like that? Jonah does almost everything wrong in his life mission, and what we're learning from this story is what not to do with your life. Not a lot of books in the Bible that do exclusively that, but he does. And it's like a warning sign for pain. Don't do it this way if you want to avoid all of the pain in life. Save yourself a lot of heartache. Don't be Jonah. Studying this book can save us a lot from a lot of frustration to help us understand the mission we have. Remember, by way of background, that Jonah was a rogue prophet. Jonah was a rebellious prophet, and he was a reluctant prophet. I told you a few weeks ago, if you were with us that first week, that he was a racist. He was a bigot. He was racially prejudiced. And when God said, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, which incidentally was the largest city in the populated world at that time. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to proclaim a message to them. And Jonah, by his very action, said, God, I'm not going to do that. They're my enemy. They're politically different than me. They're racially different than me. I don't want you to bless them. I don't want you to use them. And God, I certainly don't want you to forgive the people in Nineveh. So he runs in the opposite direction. Instead of going east to Nineveh, he goes west to Tarshish, a seaport off the coast of Spain. And you know they have this big storm in the ocean while he's there, and he's thrown overboard. He's swallowed by a great fish that the Bible says that God had prepared for him, uniquely prepared for Jonah. And he's out there, and in that fish he turns around. The fish spits him out where? In the right direction. And in the right direction he goes to Nineveh and preaches the word. In chapter 1, here's the things that we've learned so far. We see Jonah rebelling and running from God. In chapter 2, we see him repenting and running back to God, saying, God, I will do it. And then last week in Jonah chapter 3, we saw Jonah actually doing what God called him to do. But in this last chapter, we're going to see Jonah regretting being obedient to God. We're going to see Jonah disappointed that God actually brought revival to the city of Nineveh. 
Incidentally, Nineveh fell a hundred years later, but I believe because of this great revival that they were, their, their life was extended a hundred years. I don't know how long God's going to let America stand, but I believe if we had revival, if my people are called by my name, could return to the Lord and we could see a real change from the church out, that God, that God maybe would bless America once again. But in this last chapter, we're going to see Jonah regretting and resenting what God did. And what we're going to look at today, quickly, I want to review the mistakes that Jonah's made up to this point, in case you haven't been with us for these last several weeks. And then I want us to look at what to remember when things don't go our way. Because if you've lived life long enough, you know that lots of times things are not going to go your way. Is there an amen in the house? Things are going to happen and we're going to be disappointed. The truth is, everything is broken because of sin. Our economies are broken. Our weather is broken, as we witnessed in Florida this past week. Relationships are broken. People do dissolve, get divorced. Our bodies are broken. Things happen to us. And nothing works perfectly on this planet uh, because of sin, because of the fallen nature of the universe and of mankind. And your plans don't work perfectly. Many, many times you make your plans, and if you're like me, the exact opposite will take place. The things you weren't counting on, the things that you weren't expecting. But the truth is, Jonah had his pl <coughs> plans for what he wanted God to do. Not God's plans for what God wanted Jonah to do, but Jonah was reversing it like he was God and God was not. But the truth is, God is God and we're not. Another amen right there. So we're going to look at what to remember when things don't go our way. But first, I want, you, I, want, I want you, by way of review, to just see the five mistakes that Jonah made. They're on your worship guide. You don't even have to write them down. But I want you to see because these are the things that can make your life miserable. Number one, Jonah thought on, 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 that he could ignore his mission so he runs from God. Maybe that's a mistake you've made in your life up to now that you could just ignore God, that you could just compartmentalize God for Sunday morning worship for about an hour. But then the rest of the week is all yours and how you want to live and what you want to do. Well, I want to tell you, you can run from God all of your life, but then you're going to meet him and you won't avoid him. The Bible says that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that, and say and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lord. Then number two, Jonah was prejudiced against people that God created in love. And that's always going to make you miserable. To think that someone else, whether it's a different race or a different socioeconomic level, that they are less than you are. That God doesn't love them. And that means that you can either be a racist or a bigot. And number three, Jonah cared more about his politics than he did people's salvation. When God says, I want you to go to that city called Nineveh, he, Jonah says, no, they're the enemy. I don't want you to save them. Uh, he cared more about his politics than that. And by the way, any time that you put your nation greater, your allegiance to your nation greater than your allegiance to God, you've made a tremendous mistake. And that's called idolatry. I don't care if it's America or any nation on the earth. And incidentally, it breaks the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not create any graven image. That was idolatry. And then number four, Jonah was only interested in his nation, not the whole world. That's a mistake. Jonah had a tribal mentality, a tribal mindset, rather than a global mindset. 
There are some people that believe that God only cares for certain people, that only certain elect people can be saved. I want you to know we are a John 3.16 church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And Jonah did not have that mindset. He thought that God cared only about the Jews, that the people of Nineveh were not that important. And that was a big mistake. And then number five, Jonah reluctantly fulfilled the mission, but he does it with a bad attitude. Have you ever done that? Uh, you know, it's like the joke of the little girl who was very rebellious to her mom and dad, and she always would do just the opposite of what they wanted. It could have been a little boy, but usually it's a girl. And the little girl was being very disobedient to mom and dad. And, and they said, come in and sit down for dinner. Got very firm with her. She was out there playing. And she came in and she said, all right, I'll sit down. But you need to know I'm still standing on the inside. And that's Jonah's attitude. All right, God, I will go to Nineveh. But you need to know that I'm still in Tarshish on the inside. I'm still running away from you. And, and, and so reluctantly he fills the mission. But he does it with a bad attitude. He goes, he walks into Nineveh, he says, hey, you guys are going to die, bye. You know, that was not a very positive message. There wasn't much of a heart in it. And 40 more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And in chapter 4, where we come to today, and I want you to fill these in as we go, there are two more mistakes that Jonah makes. And guys, I hope you know that there are lessons that we can learn in the book of Jonah that we don't pick up in any other book of the Bible because it's an example of personally how individually we can miss the best will of God in our lives. Let me just say this, that the worst thing that can happen by way of emotion in your life, the most worthless emotion that you can have is resentment. The most worthless emotion you can have is when you resent someone when you resent a situation that's already happened, it's canceled, you couldn't go back and change it if you want to. But Jonah is involved in this resentment because he doesn't get his way, he gets resentful. And anytime you're resentful, you're going to hurt yourself a whole lot more than the other person. Sometimes someone will tell me, I'm so resentful to that person and, and I can't sleep and I, I can't have peace in my heart. And what you don't realize is that other person may not even know you're resentful. They're not sitting, not eating, and not sleeping. They're going on with their life. They're having a party. You're the only one that gets hurt when you have a heart and an attitude of resentment, even if something bad happened to them. But somehow, we think that by resenting them, we can hold them accountable, that they'll be responsible to us. But actually, when you're resenting someone, all you're doing is making yourself miserable. Just maybe jot this down somewhere. Resentment never helps. It always hurts. Resentment never helps. There's no good that can come from that, especially in your spiritual walk. And while resentment is bad against anybody, the worst kind of resentment you can have is when you resent God. When you resent God for something maybe that didn't happen. God, why did you do this? God, why didn't you do this? God, didn't, why did you let this thing happen? And if you get resentful against God, that can cause all kinds of problems in your spiritual life. And that's what Jonah did. He was very angry. He was very resentful toward God. And I want you to write down the two mistakes that Jonah made. And I want you to write them down so you don't make them in your own life and I don't make them in mine. Here's the first one. It's on the screen. Resenting God's plan when it doesn't fit my plan. It's a dumb thing to do. Resenting God's plan when it doesn't fit my plan. That's what Jonah did. He was resenting God's plan. 
Have you ever done that? Have you ever had a time in your life where you say, God, I don't like the plans that you have for me? I know that you know that Jeremiah 29, 11 is there where it says, the Lord says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you peace and prosperity and a future. But maybe something happened and, and, and you were very upset at God. Maybe you had a plan following your graduation and it didn't happen. Maybe you had a plan for that perfect marriage, for that job, for whatever it was that didn't happen. You need to know that resentment is a deadly poison. It's like drinking arsenic and hope that kills the person that you're, you're, you're dealing with. I remember one time my nephew, precious kid I love, he's in heaven today. But J.W. was with his friends here in the Columbus area. And a raccoon had rabies or something in the backyard. They were having a dinner on the back porch. And this raccoon just started coming up toward them and challenging them, which is very unusual. And J.W. had about a size 13 or 14 foot shoe. And that raccoon came up and he just flippantly kicked it as hard as he could. And this thing goes flying in the backyard and they're all laughing until the raccoon turned around and said, you know, and coming back toward them. And the house they were at, the guy says, here, J.W., here's my gun, shoot it. And he hands him the rifle. J.W. takes it by the barrel to hit the raccoon with the woodstock. It discharged and shot him in the stomach. I said, J.W., you're the only man in the world that's ever been shot by a raccoon. It's, it's amazing. But he was sure he was going to get the raccoon with the end of the gun, and the other end of the gun got him. And sometimes you're thinking the same thing. I'll show them. And you take the wrong end of the gun. And you're going to clobber them, and you end up shooting yourself. So when you deal with the resentment, it's something that's bad. But when it's against God, it's especially bad. Now, why was Jonah resentful? I'll tell you why. Because he wanted his enemies to be destroyed. He wanted them to be gone. He had no, nothing good about Nineveh. God's going, I want to forgive them. I want to warn them, and maybe they'll turn back to me, just like he's been doing with America, maybe just like he's been doing in your own life. And Jonah's going, God, listen, tune in. I don't want you to forgive them. I don't want you to let them off the hook. So in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, the, the last verse of the last chapter, notice what it says on the screen and on your outline. It says, when God saw that the people of Nineveh had put a stop to their evil ways... And if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about their evil ways. They were like the Nazis. They were the most horrendous, horrific, horrible, military, threatening nation at that time. They were very, very brutal. But it says, when God saw that the people of Nineveh had put a stop to their evil ways, he had mercy on them and he canceled the destruction that he had threatened. And he gets resentful because God decides, I'm going to forgive these guys. They have repented. They're turning to me. So I'm going to forgive them. And Jonah blows a gasket. He gets so upset. He's resentful against God. Now, now how do you know when you're resentful of God? How do you know if you're really resenting him? Well, there are lots of emotions that Jonah experienced that may show up in your life when you're being resentful against God. And they're listed for you down there. And I want you to fill in the blank on each one as we go if it's not listed on the screen. But number one is frustration. Frustration with God is a, is a, is a bottom line uh, magnification that you are resenting God. The Bible says the change of plans upset Jonah. He got very frustrated. This revival when God says, I'm going to forgive them, is good news for everyone except Jonah. 
The people of Nineveh are going to benefit. God is thrilled. But the preacher who would be reveling normally that an entire city from the king down to the cattle returned in sackcloth and ashes and worshiping the Lord. And God says, I'm going to forgive the whole city. Jonah is frustrated. The second thing that happens, sometimes it doesn't end in frustration. In Jonah's case, it led to anger. The frustration, you know, of maybe something just frustrates you, but then it boils a little bit, and it turns into anger. He becomes furious. And the word there in the Bible literally means that he lost his temper. He's in a rage. He's livid at what's happening. He's indignant that God had not destroyed these people who had hurt him and his people. Why don't you destroy those people? He's angry. And after the anger, the next step that happened in Jonah's life was the self-pity. He has a pity party for me, myself, and I. And he's putting all the focus on the inside. Uh, it says he complained to the Lord. In other words, oh, poor me. No, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. And, and he has a pity party. And I don't know, maybe you've done that. Have you ever just had this pity party toward God saying, Lord, nobody cares. No one understands what I'm going through. In the next verse, it says this. Now, and Jonah is speaking, now I ask you, Lord, please kill me. It's that bad, Jonah? Someone gets saved and you want to die one for one? A whole city? Please kill me, for it's better for me to die than to live. I mean, he's really getting way off here. He's not thinking rationally anymore. Jonah, are you kidding me? I mean, just kill me. I'd rather be dead than alive. And then the last two are even worse, depression and suicide. He gets into a case of what psychologists today would call clinical depression. It's better for me to live than die. And you may not realize it, but that is severe depression. And he could have been suicidal when he says, Lord, Lord, just kill me. I, I don't want to live. My, my plans didn't work out. Just take my life. How rational is that? Not at all. But when you become very resentful and very angry, there are people serving time in prisons today because they did something in a burst of anger in one moment that if they would have taken two minutes and a deep breath, that would have never happened. But Jonah was at this point. Now, it's not rational that God doesn't love him, doesn't care for him, because think of all the wonderful things up to this point that God has done for Jonah. He survives the storm at sea. He survives being thrown overboard from a boat in the middle of the ocean by the sailors that we looked at a couple weeks ago. Guys, he survived being swallowed by a great fish and being in the belly of that fish. And all those things have happened and he's still alive. And then he says, I just want to die. I don't want to die because I was in the ocean thrown overboard or in the fish. But because you saved those people, you may as well just take my life. Hate will cause your heart to be filled with those kind of emotions. Hate and resentment are things that will steal the joy of a Christian. doesn't mean that you're not a Christian, but it will take the joy that passes all understanding and will affect you very, very much in all of your life. And actually, they come in order because it starts with frustration when things don't go the way you want them to. And then it turns into anger where Jonah's saying things like, God, I'm ticked off because things aren't going the way I expect them to go. And then it goes from there to self-pity and, and start feeling poor me. And then to depression, I, I might as well just die. There's nothing to live for anymore. And it progresses. Now, I, this morning, am literally begging you as your pastor. I'm absolutely challenging you that whoever you're holding hatred against, 
whoever you're holding a hurt against this morning, whoever you're holding resentment against, let it go. Please let it go. You're the only one that will get destroyed from that at the end of the day. Because if you hold it in your heart, hatred in your heart produces anger and resentment and your heart produces frustration and self-pity and, and depression and all of those things. And that's a mistake that Jonah made. He said, I just want to die. It always hurts you more. Resentment always hurts you more. That was a mistake that Jonah made. So I'm saying to you, let it go. And in your mind, perhaps, right now, you're thinking of who you need to release or what situation you need to let go. And I don't want to really get personal this early in the message. But maybe you need to go to that person and say, I was wrong. Whatever happened, whatever took place, I want you to forgive me for the feelings that I had toward you in that situation. I forgive you for that. I'm releasing that. It may be more imagined than it was reality because of the way that I've handled it. But I need to move forward from this. I've told you this story Many years ago, my brother came to me. I had a couple of brothers that did this to me. And they came to me and borrowed money. And it was money that I couldn't afford to loan. We were struggling. A new church, pastor, four children. They all loved to eat. They got that from my side of the family. And, and my brothers came to me and said, Frank, would you, lo would you loan us some money? We're going to really be good for it. And in six months, we're going to give it back to you. And, and I'm, I won't have you cry by telling you what we had to do to make the sacrifice to give that money. And, but we did it. And uh, when the time came for that money to be paid back, it was not paid back. And I needed the money then as much as I did the time that I loaned it when I didn't really have it, which made me always say, don't loan people money and expect to ever get it back. If you're going to do it, you better do it as if you get it back. God bless your heart. Tithe on it. <laughs> but, but you may never get it back. And uh, I didn't get it back. So I called another brother a few months after that. I said, hey, you know, I, did my brother ever get that settlement that he was going to get to pay me back? He said, oh, yeah, they were in the Bahamas for a couple months. I said, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> he said, yeah, they've had a great time. And I got in my car and I drove to his home. And I said, brother, I said, have you just come from the Bahamas? Yep. What about that money you owe me? Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't have any more money. We spent it all in the Bahamas. And his funeral was the following Tuesday. <laughs> no, it's not true. <laughs> but that was my brother. And I started to hate him. And it started affecting my spiritual life over something stupid like money. And I remember the night the Lord got a hold of my heart really good. And I went to him and I said, hey, I want you to forgive me for that. Here's a release. And I wrote out a note. I said, you are released from that. I love you. I don't want anything like money to ever come between our relationship as brothers. And I loved him till the day he went to heaven. But it was a very difficult time in my life. And I share that with you because it may not be money with you. It may be a hurt. Some of you have had things done to you. I'm sorry that that's happened to you. But don't let it destroy your relationship with God and your ability to move forward. Because listen to me, bucko. You have got it within you to pick up and go again and move forward. And God has been your source, not your brother. 
God is the one that is always taking care of you, and he'll do it again. You can tell we haven't missed a meal. Glory to God. (laughs) then, Then here's the second mistake that Jonah made. First was resenting God's plan when it doesn't fit my plan. And the second resentment is resenting God's mercy and goodness to other people. Jonah really resented that God's big enough to love all of his children. And he wanted to show mercy to Nineveh at that point. And when God's good to people I don't want him to be good to, then I get upset. And and, uh, when God's merciful and forgiving to people, I don't want him to forgive, then I get upset. And that's what happened to this guy Jonah. Jonah hates that God is forgiving people that Jonah doesn't like. They're not only his political enemy, as I told you, he's racially prejudiced against these people. America has a long history of being racially prejudiced. And how I pray to God that in reality that that will be cured, that the Holy Spirit of God will continue to work in our nation and in our world. But notice what it says in Jonah 4 in verse 2. It says, then Jonah complained. Now, who's he complaining to? To God. He says, didn't I say, now he's talking to God, like he's lecturing God. Didn't I say before I left home that I knew you would do this? In other words, forgiving these people, Lord, that's why I ran away to Tarshish. I, I, this is why I knew you would do. You're a gracious and compassionate God. I know you're slow to anger. I know that you're filled with unfailing love. I know how easily you could cancel your plans for punishing these people. And, and all these good things about God, and Jonah gets depressed. And here's the reason. Because Jonah had a, a problem that you and I can have also. We want forgiveness for ourselves and justice for everyone else. And other people's mistakes are called sins and ours are called a loophole. Jonah absolutely just wanted the mercy all for himself. We we want to be forgiven. We want God to show us grace. We want God to show us mercy. But that guy who hurt me, God, sick him, sick him, get him. Get him, God. Go after them. He deserves justice. Do I deserve justice? Absolutely. But I'm so thankful for grace and mercy and the goodness of God. Jonah wants God to forgive him, but he didn't want God to forgive anyone that had hurt him. And he's resentful over that, of the showing mercy. So let's get real just for a few minutes today. Who do you want God not to forgive? Just don't write it down. Your neighbor may see it. But in your mind, you may sleep with that neighbor. You'll get that in a minute. Some of you are a little slow. <laughs> it's early. <laughs> but, 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 but when you think about that, uh, of, of who you don't really care that you, you're blind to, who do you think God can't save? Hey, all you white people, how are you doing with the black people? Do you think God loves black people as much as he loves you? Black people. Do you think that God really loves Mexicans as much as he loves you? Hey, how are we all doing with the Muslims? Do you think they're inferior to us? Do you think God cares less about Muslim people than he does about Christian people? Are you naive enough to think that God loves you more after you get saved than he loved you before you got saved? He loves us. He created us. He loves the people of the world. And who are we to show prejudice? We have a plan to share the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ. But that message is for every living human being on this planet. Who do you want God not to forgive? Please 
Don't forgive them, God. They've, they've just hurt me too much. Who is it that you don't want God to show mercy to? Trust me when I say this. This is experience talking. You're only hurting yourself. You're not hurting them. I used to have a thing I would do when I thought someone had hurt me, and I'd identify the car they drove. And I'd say, Lord, if I'm supposed to pray for them, every time I pass a car that looks like that, let me pray for them. Those would be the only cars on the road. (laughs) I'd find myself praying, and I'd pray about them until I could pray for them. And sometimes it's a process. Do you understand that? Say amen. But as I would go through that process and say, God, please help me work through this. And it it took the resentment away and the joy away. And and it's so important. I remember reading the story about John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. A a person came to him. This guy talking to him says, oh, I could never forgive that guy. I could never, ever forgive him for what he did to me. And John Wesley said, well, my friend, I hope you never sin again then. Because that's the bridge you're burning that we all have to cross to get to heaven. The forgiveness is so important. It's not on the screen, but listen to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He said, if you forgive others the wrongs they've done to you, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive the wrongs that you have done. Wow. So important that we understand that. If you're unwilling to forgive others, God says, why should I forgive you? If you're unwilling to show grace to other people, why should I, should I show grace to you? You want everyone else to have justice, but you want mercy for yourself. So we need to learn to forgive. Let me give you three reasons. It's not on your outline why you need to let it go no matter how bad it is. Do they deserve to be let go? Nope, they don't. Humanly, rationally. They should be held down to extract every ounce of pain that you possibly could get. But why should they be forgiven? And also, let me just say this before I tell you. Forgiveness is never deserved. Forgiveness is never earned. Forgiveness is a gift. And that's why we can have forgiveness in the eyes of God. You don't forgive them because they deserve it. You forgive them because you want to feel better. That's the principle. Forgiving them makes you better. It makes you stronger. It makes you more acceptable in the eyes of God when you need it. And you let them off the hook for three reasons. Number one, I've been forgiven in the past, so I need to forgive other people. Secondly, holding on to that hurt in the present makes my present miserable. There's no joy in it. There's nothing there. And I understand it's a process, but you begin working on it. Every time you see that car, you start saying, Lord, let me have the peace. Change my attitude, Lord. And he will do it. He will change that. And then the third reason, I'm going to in the future need more forgiveness in the future because I'm certainly not going to be perfect from this time on. I've known myself for almost 70 years. And it's a process that we go through. And we we need that. And and holding on to it only hurts you. But Jonah gets mad at God because God does good things to people who had repented. And he doesn't want those people in Nineveh to be forgiven. And there's one other possible motive that Jonah has, and I want you to see it. It's in the Living Bible Translation. Notice on your outline or on the screen, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 3, Jonah says, I'd rather be dead than alive when nothing that I told them has happened. Do you know what Jonah was really worried about? His reputation. I made a prophecy. In April of 1988, there was an engineer 
from St. Louis, Missouri, by the name of Edgar Wisnott. And Edgar made a prophecy. And his prophecy was that Jesus would return in Rosh Hashanah of that year, 1988. And he wrote a little book about it that sold millions of copies called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. And it was published by Thomas Olive of Olive Publishing in Nashville, Tennessee. And on that day that it happened, I did a couple things that were ornery. Number one, my sister-in-law was scared to death it was really going to happen. And she was so afraid she'd miss the rapture. And the, the guy had prophesied that it would happen between 11.30 and noon. And so at noon, our phone started ringing. And I said to Deborah, don't you dare answer that phone. <laughs> I said, I know who it is. Let her sweat. And she called back and back and back, and finally I picked it up, and I said, Polly, we're still here. She says, thank the Lord. <laughs> she hangs it up. I'm not sure I would be the benchmark of whether the rapture had happened or not, but in her mind, I was. And the second thing that happened, about 11.45 that day, I called Olive Publishing to ask a question of Mr. Thomas Olive. And he actually put me through to his cell phone, which in those days was a very expensive thing. And I said, Mr. Olive, where are you at? He said, I'm on a boat in Tennessee in a lake waiting for Jesus to come back. I said, that's great. I said, can I ask you a question? I'm a pastor in Ohio. What are you going to do if Jesus doesn't come back? He said, well, I'll refund all the money. He never did. In fact, they came up with the uh, it's, uh, Home Alone version 2. They wrote a second book called 88, 89 Reasons Why Jesus Did Not Come Back in 1988. And it just went on. And Jonah's worried about his reputation. He says, God, you told me to go to Nineveh. Give them the message that in 40 days the city will be destroyed if you don't repent, if you don't come back to God. And now it hasn't happened. God, that makes me look bad. I told them what you told me to tell them, and you changed your mind. You're supposed to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's more worried about how he looks than he is the people's salvation. He'd rather see an entire city destroyed than for him to look bad. He says, God, you know it's better for me to not even be alive. I, I, this makes me look really, really bad. I'm worried about how I will appear to other people. Will they accept my message in the future? And as we think about everything that's happening here, we know in our lives that life is filled with interruptions, with dead ends. You think life's going a certain way, and you go that way for a while, and it's like you hit a rock wall. Things don't turn out the way you want them to. And Jonah's an object lesson where we have to all learn from that. All of our plans can get kicked out the door so often, and we can get so messed up in our lives. But in the midst of that, we must remember that God's plans never change. That God was in control all the time. And so there are three things that I want you to remember when things don't go my way. Or four things. It's on the back of your worship guide. And I won't get to finish this, but I'll give you a couple of them. Number one, remember that God can see things I can't. Do you believe that? We live in linear time. We only get 24 hours at a time. We see from morning to night as we live through the day. But God's like above all of this. It's like he can see the beginning. He can see the end. He can see the present. He sees every bit of it all the time. And he's upset. In verse 4 it says, Then God asked Jonah, What right do you have to be angry over what I've done? Why should you be angry with me for forgiving these people? And guys, I just want to say this parenthetically. Anytime you doubt God's wisdom, you're going to get in trouble. 
When things happen that we can't understand, why do young people die? Why are innocent hurt? Why do men walk off from their families or women get involved in affairs and abandoned family? Why do things like that happen? And we, we struggle with that. Why are you left in that situation? Well, God has not, nor will he ever forsake you or abandon you, even though other people may. And you need to trust his wisdom that he knows what's going on. And God had to deal with a lot of people in the Bible like this. It was not just Jonah. There was another character by the name of Job. Do you remember Job when he's questioning everything that's going on? In Job chapter 38, notice on the screen, the Bible says, The Lord said to Job, Who are you to question my wisdom? Where were you when I made the world? One version says, laid the foundation of the world. It's not a bad question. Where were you when God made the world? Where was I when God made the world? And he's saying, do I need your advice to change my plans? And this one's not on the screen, but in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, it says, God does everything just right and in the right time. We, we might think that he's late, but he's never late. God is always showing up. Do you know when Jesus came? The Bible says he came in the fullness of time. He came just at the right time that God wanted him to be there. So the first thing that I have to remember is that God sees things that I can't see. And God's saying, don't doubt me. Don't doubt me when you're going through that tough time that you're going through this morning, October the 2nd, 2022. I really know what's happening in your life. I'm there for you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I can see where it's headed. I know how the end of it all turns out. Don't doubt me. So Jonah leaves the city. Notice on your outline in verse 5, the next verse, it says, Then Jonah left the city of Nineveh, and he found a place uh, east of the city to sit down, and there he tried to make a temporary shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. Do you see? He's waiting. He went out, sat down, said, Okay, I told him what you want to tell them. Now blow the city up. Go ahead, God, just destroy every bit of it. He's waiting for God to destroy it. And he gets a lawn chair, and he gets some French onion dip and some potato chips, and he's just waiting. Burn, baby, burn. You, you say, who would be that sick to want to watch that happen? I don't know, but they make blockbuster movies about it. Every week, people go buy popcorn they can't afford to watch a movie of people in cities and nations getting blown up all the time. So, so he's getting hot. And that leads to the second thing you need to remember because what God does next is pretty unusual and he's been doing it in your life. You ready to write it down? Remember, God is good to me even when I'm cranky. <laughs> God is good to me even when I'm carnal. God is good to me when I've left home plate, when I'm not on base, when I'm doing things that really cause me to mess up. Jonah's mad at God, but God's still going to be good to him. And in the next verse, verse 6, tells about that even when your attitude stinks, God's still gracious. Notice what it says. Then God arranged. Now, remember, Jonah's out there sitting under the hot sun. Then God arranged for a broad leaf to plant to spring up quickly and provide shade for Jonah from the hot sun and to relieve his discomfort. This made Jonah very happy and comfortable, even while he's being a jerk. Even while he's being disobedient in attitude toward God for what he's done. It says, then God arranged. Would you circle that word, God arranged? It's the same word that's used in chapter 2 where it says, God arranged a great fish. So he custom makes a broadleaf plant. The authorized version calls it a gourd. 
I started to call this sermon Jonah the Gourd Head. But he provides this broad plant and provides shade while he's sitting there. And, and he's worried about Jonah's discomfort even when Jonah's attitude stinks. So sometimes you may be getting away with sin. You may be getting away with attitude that's not pleasing to the Lord. And things are going great for you. You still have money in the bank. Things still happen every week the way they're supposed to. And you may think life is good. But my friend, trust me. You're living on the mercy and the goodness of God. When we are disobedient, God is not responsible to make our life pleasant all the time, comfortable all the time. Certainly, Jonah didn't deserve it. And maybe, maybe you've been one that's been ticked off at God. Maybe you've totally ignored him in your life. And he's still caring for your discomfort as you go through that. He loves you even when you're unlovable. And if you're ticked off because you don't understand, that's one thing. But Jonah had graduated from the class of understanding. He had an attitude problem with what God wanted to do. Here's the third thing to remember when things don't go as planned in your life. I remember that God is in control of every detail. Do you believe that? Would you say amen? I believe, I claim it, I say it, that God is in control of every detail of my life. The next verse says this. I mean every detail, the small things and the large things, every detail. The next verse says, but at dawn the next day, God arranged. Now watch, there's that word arranged again. He arranged for the gourd, he arranged for the ship, the fish, and now he arranges again for a small worm, just a little worm, a small worm to chew through the stem of that large shade plant so that it withered and died. Then when the sun arose, God arranged. There's that word again. It tells me God's in charge of everything. God arranged a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed so hot on Jonah's head that he grew faint and he wanted to die. And he said again, it would be better for me to die than to live. Now, I want you to get this from this point. In your life, God's going to sometimes arrange some big things. You're going to have some eureka moments where you discover something that's going to change the course of your life. It may be professionally. It may be relationally. It, it, it may be in a way financially that God has just provided for you, and it's a big thing that happens just all at one time, it seems like. Big circumstances to swallow you up when you're heading the wrong direction, and he turns you around and gets you going in the right direction. And at other times, God arranges something brand new that will come in your life, and it will provide shade for you when you're going through a very difficult time. And give you comfort. And then sometimes God will allow something very small to chew away at the comfort that you're experiencing in life. Of what been, what's been giving you comfort. And why does he do that? Because he doesn't want you to stay where you're at. God always wants to move with you. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That walk means that we're walking. Please know this. If the Lord directs your walk, it will always be closer to heaven and closer to him. And he's destroying the thing that would hold him up. Sometimes people get comfortable. Sometimes people find themselves worshiping in a building like this and going, because, wow, it's wonderful. And we almost get the mindset of us four and no more. We have enough to pay the bills. We have enough to send money to worldwide missions. We don't need to be concerned about that lost person that lives down the street or the neighbor on the other side or the, the people in the city of downtown Columbus. 
And sometimes God will take you out of your comfort zone because not only does he want to move you, but he needs to move you for your sake, for our growth. And he doesn't want you sitting under the hill of a shade tree for the rest of your life. So he arranges something real small like a worm to eat away at your comfort zone. I believe God even arranges our deaths. The Bible says appointed everyone to die. Every one of us. And you know that even in the death of your spouse, in the death of a loved one, God can use your life. And it's the hardest thing in the world. This, this thing comes and just eats away where you were comfortable. Now your retirement's cut in half. Your spouse is gone. Now the relationship. You go home to, to four walls and closed door. You used to complain the kids messed up the towels. And now the towels never get dirty again. The beds are never slept in again. And sometimes you struggle. God, what happened with that? Well, that change happened so much. I'll never forget, we had a dear, precious brother of this church that used to change the sign many years ago, Paul Braun. At the age of 70, 75, Paul was still racing the Portsmouth bike race back and forth, and, and his precious wife, Edwina, passed away. And we had a group of missionaries up here. And Paul had two wives that had passed away, and they talked about becoming a missionary. And Paul came to me after the service. He said, Pastor Frank, I think God wants me to be a missionary. I'm going to Israel. He said, I'm, I'm going to go to the International Mission Board and see if I qualify. And he went. And they, they said, well, you're in pretty good health. They, they made him do a check on body fat. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> and so he had to pass this physical. And at 72 years old, he only had 3% body fat. I never liked him. <laughs> and he went to Israel. And he was there three years, and he called me one day. He said, Pastor Frank, I'm leaving the mission field, and I'm coming home. I said, why? He said, I've fallen in love with someone, and they won't let us get married for missionaries in Israel. I said, Paul, where's she from? He said, Reynoldsburg. <laughs> he said, her husband passed away, and my wife passed away. He said, the only way we can get married is to come home. And so I said, well, come on. They came home, they got married, and then they went back to the mission field. It was a great situation. But Paul was so comfortable at this point, and, and God says, Paul, I'm not finished with you. You're going to be a missionary. You just don't know it yet. And I'm going to bless you with another wife, another situation. And so sometimes if you're going through something, and it looks like God's taking away the best, and something's eating away at your peace and your comfort, just let God do his work completely. Let, let him do what he's trying to do in your life. It's, and he's doing it because he loves you, not because he hates you. Sometimes he's making you uncomfortable, not because he wants to punish you. He's doing it because he loves you. And I want you to notice the statement on your outline there. God uses both great and small things to direct me. He uses great things that, 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 to help us, like the shade tree for Jonah. But then he uses little things. Notice in verse 9. It says, then God asked Jonah again, what right do you have to be angry that the shade plant withered and died? Jonah said, I have every right to be angry, and I'm angry enough to die. Jonah never got the point. When this book ends, we don't know that Jonah ever, ever, ever got the point, which leads me to the last point, and that is remember to focus on what will last. I don't know how you're living your life. You don't know how I'm living mine. But I want you to know it's so important that we focus on things that will last. I remember that God can see things that I can't see. 
I remember that God is good even when I'm a jerk. I remember that God is in control of every detail. And I remember to focus on what will absolutely last. Guys, sometimes we stew and we fuss and we spew over things that will last seven days or ten days or a month. Much less next month, ten years or for eternity. We worry about the short-term things like a plant that grows up and dies the next day. And, and Jesus says, why are you worrying about this? In the scripture, in that same book of Matthew, he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. The bottom line is, if you're going to be distressed about something in your life, would you at least be distressed about something that matters that's going to last? It's not a plant. It's not your vacation. It's not a hobby. Those things are all temporary. And as far as I know, and I'm probably wrong, I have been once. But as far as I know, this is the only book in the Bible that ends up with God asking a question. Look at verse 10 and 11 with me. It says in verse 10, Then the Lord said, Jonah, you're more concerned about a plant that died, even though you didn't plant it, you didn't water it, and you didn't make it grow. In other words, Jonah, that was my trick. I did that. And plants are short-lived. They spring up quickly and they die. But Nineveh, that city over there, the one that you want to destroy, has more than 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left, not to mention all the animals. Should not be concerned about that great city. Now, scholars are divided. Does that 120,000 that do not know their right hand from their left, does that represent children in that city? And then there are another 400,000 adults, which would give the estimate of historians that Nineveh was a city of about 600,000 people. Or does it mean there are about 120,000 people in that population base that do not understand spiritual things? But God said in that verse, I do care about animals. If people say, does God care about animals? In this case right here, the Lord says, even the animals I'm concerned about. And Jonah should not be more concerned about them than I am these things that you want me to be concerned about. And the point is, this is a great city. Guys, by the end of this century, the majority of the world will live in great cities. It's estimated that, some, that most of the population will be south of the equator. And most of the population will be brown in color. There was a book that was written and, uh, that, that said by 1950, it's called The Death of the West. And its essence of it says, if, 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 if you're white, say goodnight. If you're brown, you'll be around. Because the population shift is happening that fast. And for us to have a burden in this generation to care about people not only in this church or in this zip code, but in this city, in this state, in this world, and say, Lord, I want you to do your work. But here's the question. What do you care about most? That thing that gives you comfort right now or the salvation of people that God loves and creates? Are you getting all you can and spending all you can on yourself? Are you investing in missions? Are you investing in souls? Are you caring about people in Haiti as Jeff and his brother does? Are you caring about the people in the Dominican Republic as Dave and his ministry does? Do you care about people in Israel as your guy's daughter do, does over in Israel, sharing and caring all the time? And we just need to say, Lord, here am I. Use me and send me. I mean, what's going to last the only things that are going to last are things that are built upon the Lord Jesus Christ, upon the kingdom of God and his word. God's word is true. There are only two things that will last forever in eternity, a human soul and the word of God. 
Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will endure forever, and a soul will exist somewhere forever. We don't have to fix the word, but we're to proclaim the good news of sharing, of seeing people come home. Jonah needs to attend a revival service and needs to come home. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe today you've wandered far away from God, but Lord, I'm coming home. 